We all get bogged down with the mundane tasks of life, especially this time of year. But isn't it time you take a break from your normal, boring routine? Don't just sit on the sidelines and watch life go by. Get in the game with the bold tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast. You can be having a blast anywhere. Having a blast at work, having a blast in traffic, having a blast while you file your taxes. No, really, we mean it when we say anywhere. With Baja Blast now in stores everywhere, you can be having a blast whenever and wherever you are all year long. So what are you waiting for? Pick up an ice cold Baja Blast today at a store near you. And for a limited time with every purchase of Baja Blast in stores and at participating Taco Bell locations, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. This swag is available for a limited time only, so don't wait. Grab a Baja Blast and start having a blast right away. No purchase necessary, open to U.S. residents 18 or older, subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com. Ends June 15, 2024, void where prohibited. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Hi, Em. That Beverly Hills reunion trailer did things to me that I didn't know a video like that was capable of. It really rocked my world, I gotta be honest. There's no better feeling than when Andy and all the other housewives have been saying, you know, this is really going to live up to the hype. Like, this is phenomenal. And then you see a clip and you can tell they were not kidding. Like, I I really feel that way. Not only did they deliver, they delivered way more than I was even expecting. And this is just the trailer. And I truly don't think that they're giving away the best parts. This is a four-part reunion. That is basically four hours that we're going to get. And we only have seen three minutes of it. I know. And that one specific part when Andy says, I'm going to put you on the skewer and like fire up the heat. My view of that is he's basically putting her in the hot seat for, let's say, somewhere between what, six and 20 minutes and just firing off the questions, which to me is all we want because it's so much harder when you have to factor it into the storyline of the show. But in this case, he's almost removing housewives for a second and saying, you know what, let me get to the bottom of you as it applies to the case. Right. It's like a one-on-one interview, Q&A, firing off questions to her. My gut is telling me that they'll do all the show stuff and the other women's issues and problems. And also Erica worked into it in the first three parts. And that I don't know if the whole fourth part, but definitely a big chunk of it will be dedicated to this asking Erica the hard, hot questions that all of us have been wondering and probably the other women contributed to wanting to know things. Completely. I also appreciated the way that they framed it, where it's, you know, Rin and Erica talking. They're kind of doing a flashback in relation to this dream that she had. And we get this one little piece of information where Erica says that Rinna Cauldron said, These girls have turned on you, which is so interesting to me because I want to know when. I want to know after what event did Rinna think, you know what, I think I'm on a boat by myself here. And when did she alert Erica? Right. I just am really curious to see the dynamic also given the time between when the show ended, the reunion started, and also after Erica now has watched the show. A few other quick things I want to touch on. I was so kind of surprised to see that Kathy brought notes, not because that's her medium. Like I would imagine if she was going to bring notes, it would definitely be on a piece of paper as opposed to like a phone or anything like that. But I just feel like that's the most involved she's ever been. Right. Like, I can't believe she was paying that close attention. I know. Like, she comes here with a bone to pick, which is so off-brand. And But hey, I welcome it with open arms. One of my favorite things about Kathy Hilton, and I think really that defines her as a person, is that she will never put her purse down. She's on Watch What Happens Live sitting at the chair next to Andy, and she has her purse. She's at the reunion sitting on the couch, purse on her lap. She would not let it go if 
anything for anything. I know. And I so appreciate that consistency because you can tell like this is how she is throughout her life on camera or not. Yes. She doesn't change who she is and that's why she's so perfect. Obviously, we didn't see enough of this, but I think it's really important that, you know, Andy talked about the hate that Crystal was getting because she had spoken about it a little, but I think that on the reunion, especially when all of the other women are there, she's being asked directly about it. It's just, I can imagine how difficult it must be to talk about, but also so important for people to see that side because on the internet, people forget that these are real people that have real emotions and feelings. And so maybe this is naive of me, but I do sometimes hope that her being so vulnerable about the pain that she was experiencing can help to, can aid, I should say, in stopping this. Yeah, especially if a lot of it is not maybe under her pictures or things like that. Like we can't see into her DMs, but her telling everybody what she's getting is probably the most powerful thing you can do. Totally. It's disgusting. I mean, there was just a lot here. Erica and Sutton, Garcelle, Zareed, Rinna, like I am so unbelievably excited. I don't know if I've ever been this excited for a reunion. Same. I feel like we say that every reunion, but this one just hits different. Yeah. I mean, the way that we're going to do this episode, let's get right into Beverly Hills and then we're going to do Salt Lake City and Potomac. To be totally honest with you, this episode I think was the calmest one we've had thus far. It like didn't do that much, but it wrapped everything up in a little bit of a bow. I don't know. I feel like no plot lines were taken, but it was sort of a nice ending to a very tumultuous season. No, to be clear, I'm thrilled with this. This is the exact kind of episode that I wanted. We didn't need any more drama. Like, Think about how much there is to be discussed in the reunion. This wasn't necessary in order to further that along. But (laughs) I'm going to be totally honest with you. I know this is like the most superficial part of it. My favorite part was Sutton doing the walkthrough of Kathy's house. Obviously, same. I wanted to see every nook and cranny of that house. And this was the famous scene that we saw in the trailer, I believe, of Kathy wearing that lampshade hat. And everything about it was perfect. And Kathy being like, why don't you just buy this? Don't buy a couple of dresses. Like, okay, Kathy. But also, you know, there's this thing about Kathy that I personally enjoy. I don't know. Some people may be put off by this. I'm not. I actually really like it. She talks about these things with a level of casualness and it's to me doesn't come across as bragging at all. She's just being really authentic in the way that they discuss decisions in their family. And so she's talking about how Rick said, yeah, I know we bought this home, but think about the sentimental value we have here. She's like, so we're just going to sell. It'll be roughly 52 million. Like it's so crazy that to her, that's just a normal conversation she's having. Yeah, it is really crazy. And honestly, I could watch it all day long. I'm really glad that the final scene took place in something that was so important to Crystal because let's be honest, like the last few episodes, she's been rather uninvolved in the drama. I know she was getting criticism for that. I don't think it's worthy of criticism. I just think that she wasn't unnecessarily inserting herself. Also, she kind of went through it in the beginning with Sutton. So I think anything to do with that, she was understandably so taking a step back, like for her own sake. Yeah, that's the thing people forget. Like she carried the first half of the season and then all of a sudden if she takes a back seat this this goes for anybody all of a sudden everyone's like well why isn't she involved everyone can't be involved in everything it would feel so contrived and also just overwhelming if everybody was a main character in every single fight and plot line and i loved you're right that it sort of circled back to her and we got to see more of her we got to meet her family we got to see more of her and rob and also the women sort of just like lifting her up and in being so involved and happy to be at her party. Right. And she's also, you know, bringing them all together and at the same time showing them and showing the audience her culture. And I just feel like, you know, 
what we were talking about last week with the Sutton and Erica stuff, this to me, even though I still think the way that Erica has been so hot and cold is not acceptable, this to me, I can get a little bit more on board with because at least she had the grace to say to Sutton, I'm just not ready right now. I don't want to freak out at you. Like that to me is fair. The way she handled it in Del Mar when first she says, I want nothing to do with you. Why are you speaking to me? And then she's buddy, buddy with her. And then she's not like, that was just super manipulative and kind of just emotionally toxic. Whereas here, okay, she wasn't necessarily warm and cozy, but she admitted her need for time. And that I'm much more on board with. Yeah, I agree. I think the more honest she could be, the better. And also not wanting to jump into conversation where she doesn't feel like she's in the right mindset is only benefiting Sutton as well. I do understand Sutton's confusion though, of not speaking to her, having this awful, awful blow up at Kathy's house. And then all of a sudden Erica's like just warm and not warm necessarily, but open to talking to her and just going up to her and like having a real face-to-face sort of friendly conversation. And then now is sort of retreating back. And that's all to say Erica is 100% allowed to change her mind and allowed to change her tune and look at it from a different direction. But I understand Sutton's confusion. And I think the problem is they kept saying, you know, when the time is right, we'll have a one-on-one, we'll have a sit down. But I don't think that happened between then and the reunion. No, there's no way. I mean, you know, it was good how Kathy forced Erica to come into the circle and how Kyle also explained what was going on, which I know people give Kyle shit for, but we need somebody to do that. You know, like, yes, she's helping the producers, but it's only furthering it along. But I really loved and appreciated how Sutton said to Erica, like, I can't be afraid to move forward with you that you're going to lash out at me in this way. Something to that tune, because that's really what it is. It's like, it's not that I'm unwilling to forgive and forget and move on. I just need confirmation that I can speak my mind freely to my friend without getting my head bit off, which is such a fair and justified expectation of a friend. And that if we do sit down and let's say we quote work it out or I feel like we get to a good place that you won't turn around and change your mind without literally giving me a heads up first. Because if I want to work to this resolution, I have to actually believe in the resolution. Exactly. You know, I think a very like simplistic outlook on the situation, maybe you only watched a few episodes, you could say, wow, it just feels like Sutton is a lot weaker than Erica and Erica is a lot stronger. And so it's not a fair match. That's not the case. Erica's not stronger than Sutton. Erica's just harsher in the way that she deals with things. And so it comes across as though Sutton may be being timid. I don't view it that way. I just think that in contrast to Erica's harshness and dismissiveness, Sutton's like, kind of humanity or compassion may be mistaken as weakness. Right. And I think she's also really trying to protect herself even more than she was in the beginning. She's created such a wall because she knows how it went the last time. Do you think that, or I guess I should rephrase my question, how much do you think the Denise stuff is going to come up on the reunion? I don't think a lot. I think probably by Garcelle when the whole Garcelle-Rinna situation comes up because that is really the catalyst for how they got into this position. So it's important. But I don't think Andy or anybody is going to want to steer that way because Denise isn't on the show anymore. And the issues stem far and beyond Denise. That's just sort of the base in which it was created. And I think Rena will probably say exactly what she said in this finale episode. Like, I don't need Garcelle to push me to do it when the time is right or if I feel it's right, I'll have my conversation with Denise. If ever, they might just go on in life and never speak or be friends or continue to be like enemies who had this weird shit happen with them and that might be fine. 
Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how that goes down. But you could tell in the reunion that it was deeper than just the Denise stuff with Rin and Garcelle, which is kind oh, of yeah. sad. Like I don't, I I do think that they like each other. I just think that it's not working. There's too much resentment or something on both sides. What really actually makes me the saddest was the episode when they had the party at Rinna's house, the dinner party, and they flash back to photos of one of Rinna's, I don't know, 30, 40, 50th birthday that she had that Garcelle was at. And mm-hmm. it was like this big birthday party and the history that they have and the fact that they aren't just like friends who met for the show or knew each other around town and now are feuding, but actually were friends. It's just, it makes it really sad. And I do agree with what they said of like, they could be great and have so much fun if they could just get past this. I know. I know. I, I mean, who knows? I was going to say I'm hopeful, but I'm not really, which is fine. <laughs> it's yeah. Good TV. Yeah, it's good TV. The last thing that I just want to mention is, I know we're going backwards, but when Kyle, Dorit, Rinna, and Eric are at lunch, Kyle says the thing to her about her social media presence, but I was glad that she did because, again, even somebody that's super close to Erica, I still think has a little bit of the fear that Sutton has and completely understandably so. She blows up at them at random times. And so especially since I feel like people have been calling Kyle hypocritical this season, which justified or not, I'm glad that she you know, had the balls to say it and you watched Erica's reaction of like, she's uninterested in that criticism. She's not mad, but she's completely uninterested. I think Kyle is probably the only one or Rinna who could say it to her without it becoming a thing. And they know that. They know their position in this whole thing. And the fact that it was at that smaller lunch with probably the three women she's the most comfortable with in the group, that it was more of a safe space where Kyle didn't bring it up in front of Sutton and Garcelle and Crystal and Kathy and make it like this whole big group discussion. It felt much more intimate. And I think Erica appreciated that. And also Erica loves Kyle. And I think Kyle would really have to go far and beyond crossing the line to get Erica upset. But even Kyle still, like you said, had to sort of test the waters and say like, I don't want you to be mad at me, but I just, she presented it in a very delicate way. Whereas maybe if Dorit was in this position, she would say, Dorit, you got to chill with the Instagrams. It's a bad, bad look. Yeah, I really think it must be hard to have a friend like that because to feel like you're walking on eggshells, I mean, I'll give Erica the benefit of the doubt that this is a really high stress time for her. So she's obviously more sensitive than normal. But it's one thing if, you know, you have to tone down your words because you're afraid you're going to like offend someone. Okay, maybe some people could think that's annoying. But when you have friends, you care about their feelings. It's not that. That's not the fear here. The fear is that you have to be so careful with what you say so that she doesn't completely lash out on you. And like, how is that sustainable for a close friendship? It's not. And that's why I think, yes, they are quote, close friends, but I don't think they're like the best, 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 best of friends. Yeah. Kyle and Dorit are much closer and Teddy. And I don't know, like, it just feels different. Wait, we have to talk about Porsche's bat mitzvah. Oh my God. <gasps> oh my God. Wait. I, I almost let this whole section go by without bringing up Cirque de Porsche. That was the party of the century. Century. Justin Sylvester posting that he got 20,000 like steps on his iPhone just from the bat mitzvah is all you need to know. I know. No, honestly. And you know what's the best thing? It's like, I obviously don't know Porsche, but didn't she just look not only so happy, but so appreciative? She's so cute. They're just the cutest family. The party was obviously fucking insane, beautiful Ferris wheel in their backyard. And the cutest thing, which I they're not filming the show right now because it's too close, but 
evolution and all like the producers and the editors who do Beverly Hills all these years put together a montage for her. Not only just like her regular bat mitzvah montage, but all her cutest moments from the show because she was two, one or two years old when they first started filming. See, those are the kind of things where being filmed your whole life really does have its benefits because you would never normally get those moments on camera because some of them are not momentous occasions. Some of them are literally just you going into your mom's room to get something. When would there ever be a camera for that? And so you get such a beautiful like documentary of your life. It's a, It was amazing. And I think Teddy was there, Dorit, um, Rinna, Crystal. Kim Richards was there. I was very concerned about the sisters Kim was there. I don't think Kathy was, which I don't know if it was a traveling issue or if there's something going on. I hope it was a traveling thing, which just seems so classic. You know, they do have a whole thing where they miss events in each other's lives. But you know what? It's okay. As long as they're good, I'm good. I mean, she's not exaggerating. I get a text from Isabel. I have to be honest. I've lost sleep over this. I've been scanning. <laughs> I've been scanning the photos. I don't see any sign of Kim or Kathy. I was like... <laughs> Let's don't speak too soon. Like literally, that's an exact text I have. I you know that I screenshot it when that text came in, like on my home screen because I was like, this I'm putting this in your birthday text for next year. I never get serious texts like that from Isabel unless it's about like Jill Zarin or Kathy Hilton. <laughs> Jill Zarin. I'm <laughs> fucking dying. Oh my god. I was really, really nervous. I know it, but also all that ends well. Also all that ends well. And yeah, I just had to bring that up right now. But as I was saying, I think the thing about Erica being close to them is, yes, she is close, but they are, I don't feel, maybe besides Rinna, that any of them have the super, super tight-knit close relationship that the other women do outside of the show. And I just think that has to do with Erica's personality. She has said from day one, she isn't really good or hasn't really had a lot of close female relationships. Yeah. No, listen, she owns it. That's one thing. At least she doesn't lie. Wait, I just found my text to you. (laughs) Sunday, 5.30 p.m. I'm going to be honest, dot, dot, dot. I don't think Kathy or Kim were at Porsche's bat mitzvah and it's eating me up inside. I wasn't. I wasn't exaggerating. Wait, and and then and then the uh, she doesn't update. And you say no. Period. Why do you say that? (laughs) No, but then I get the update from her. I don't know if it was on voice note or text or Zen, no, but you were like- No, it was me sending a Queens of Bravo tweeted, Kim was at Porsche's bat mitzvah too. She looks amazing with a photo of her. And I said, phew. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm so glad you pulled that up so you could really corroborate my story. <laughs> anyway, anything else you want to mention or should we go to Salt Lake City? Um, I think that's it because we're going to need to save our breath for this four-part reunion. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot pet insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. 
Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. This was another top tier episode of Salt Lake City. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this was probably my favorite Salt Lake City episode, definitely so far this season, but maybe ever. Yeah, because I think what made it so good is that we really picked up on such a pivotal moment of the fight last time. And like we were talking about on last episode, the location just added to it. So we have this blow up fight with this fucking see-through Louis Vuitton backpack in the middle of ice fishing. And then we go right into casino night. It was so many different locations and I just loved it. And throwing in two friend of housewives who are actual housewife material out of literally nowhere confessionals and all I mean come on it was so good and I actually recognize them because going back to last season when we first were introduced to the Salt Lake City women Rachel Parcell and that whole like Mormon mommy blogger community that I follow they're in it so I've stalked them before and I was like oh my god this is just gonna be so fucking good and it was It was. And I also think that, you know, if you go back to last season for a second and you look at their reunion, obviously there were so many different individual fights. And we, as the Bravo fan base, were obviously super into all of them. But, and you may disagree with this. I don't know what you think or what you guys think, but I kind of feel like the Whitney and Lisa fight was the one that people felt the most emotionally invested in because even if you weren't taking sides, you could understand where Whitney was coming from because you know what it's like to have somebody who thinks that they're better than everyone type of situation or thinks that they're too cool for you. And so it wasn't like, you know, the Jen and Meredith stuff that is a little bit more based on a certain issue and a little bit more black and white. This one was more emotional because it was about just the general concept of liking another person. And I loved that that's where we focused on. Yeah, it wasn't about you said this and now you need to apologize. It was about you as a person and your demeanor overall towards us is this. And yes, they could give examples, but I also think the element of having Whitney and Heather looped in on that and people just feeling so related to Whitney and Heather overall and loving them. I think they were really fan favorites for them to be on sort of the receiving end of the Lisa element. Like people felt so connected to it. So for it to loop back to that again was so exciting and in a different way with new characters and a whole new scenario. Completely. So obviously we'll get into that, but first let's just go back to ice fishing. It stayed really civil between Lisa and Meredith. They didn't have any sort of an issue, but there was a moment there where I had to wonder, is Meredith about to lose it on Lisa altogether? Because the fact that even this far into the experience, Lisa was still not backing down. I don't know. I could see Meredith having gotten really pissed. When Meredith and her confessional basically said, why will Lisa not let this go? And is she pushing this hard just to make her life easier so that she doesn't have to pick a side? I felt that because, yeah, of course, Lisa's doing the right thing technically. She wants her friends to get along. She wants there to be peace. But at a certain point, you might want to just say, you know what, let's just call it. It's not worth the aggravation. It's not worth you both getting this upset and saying things that you don't really mean. But she would not let it go. I literally wanted to be like, Sutton, let the mouse go. I know. I mean, I think to a certain extent, she really does care because she doesn't want Meredith hurt. At the same time, though, I think the overarching reason is that she wants to be able to be friends with Jen Shaw without feeling bad about it. I mean, it's as simple as that. 
there's definitely so much selfish motivation behind there. And I honestly think even in that moment, even though Meredith was so heated, she could see that. I really appreciated Whitney and Heather in this episode, aside from the fact that they were giving us just such beautiful comedy by kind of like commentating on the fight from their respective chairs. But on top of it, I really appreciated the way that they were talking to Jen because it was a no bullshit, direct, yet simultaneously very calm approach. And who's to say it worked? I think it was really Stuart that kind of made it all happen. (laughs) Ironically. Ironically, I know, but it was the most effective way to do it, I think. Their commentary was amazing. Like they need their own people's couch kind of show. And when Heather had to leave and she's like, I bought my ticket and schlepped all the way here to watch the drama go down. I know. (laughs) I felt that. But you're right. They had the best approach. And I honestly think they're so much stronger together in that way because Whitney is not afraid of Jen at all. And Heather now is in this good place with Jen. And I think she feels more secure and, and felt like I can say this and not feel like I could be on the next one on the chopping block. Totally. And I also think another thing they did really well, just from strictly a strategy perspective, is like they both know, we all know, literally anybody in the entire world knows that it was Jen herself that liked those tweets. Or even if she didn't actually press the like button, she was fully on board with whoever the person is doing it all. But what Whitney and Heather maintained is they weren't going to choose that battle in this current moment. They were just going to say, okay, well, on principle, if your name is on it, you still need to apologize. And kind of like, They weren't even allowing a dialogue to take place about it because they were saying, if that's your story, we will stick with it for purposes of this. But still, even with that, you're still in the wrong. Right. They pinpointed that Jen was latching so hard to, I didn't like those. I didn't physically like them. Whether she did or not is up for debate because I personally think she did. But they said, okay, fine. Let's say you didn't. You have to understand from Meredith's perspective, she doesn't know that. And if she thinks that you yourself are liking these things about her child, how would that make you feel? Totally. And also the other thing that's so ridiculous about Jen is that she tries to make it as if it's just one singular thing, which is so twisted. (laughs) I know. And she just continues every single conflict, every episode, I feel like she says, why am I being blamed? I'm the victim. You know, I, what about what they did? What about what they said? What about what they did? And it's a little exhausting. I got to be honest. You know, to be friends with her. Yes. I don't understand that, but I also really do not understand how somebody could work for her in the capacity that Stuart does, I guess, based on what's been coming out. Allegedly, there were some other motivations there, but assuming there weren't like, that's a whole other situation. Cause when you're on someone like that's payroll you can't ever say what you really want to say, I would imagine, in fear of potentially being fired. So it's just a really toxic situation all around. It's really toxic. And on the other side, being her friend and feeling like that will always be the answer. Like it must be beyond frustrating. What do you think about the resolve, I say in quotes, between her and Meredith? I think it was a Band-Aid. I think uh, the sit down between Jen and Brooks will be epic and it was very necessary and the fact that Jen kept bringing up Brooks talking about her vagina and how that hurt her kids in comparison to her liking tweets about Brooks's sexuality and all these sensitive issues that have no place like in her mouth or or at all was really I think going to set Meredith over the edge so I was proud of her that she was able to even get herself to the level to listen to Jen because I think she came in there with every ounce of frustration and anger and sadness that have been building up over the months pretty much came out in that moment. So the fact she was able to just collect herself 
and listen to Jen's sort of apology and hear her that she'll apologize to Brooks, I think it's the best we're going to get. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think for me, the thing about Jen is that I know we say a lot, like when somebody apologizes, it's like, you don't want to be the person that's like, well, you could have done this, right? Because it's like, okay, well, then they'll never, they're never going to be able to win. My thing with Jen is that it's not only that I find her apology to be incredibly insincere and also performative, I also find her outburst to be equally as insincere and performative. I, I don't trust anything really about her. And so it's not like I just think that she's being fake when she puts on this act to quickly apologize to Meredith. I think the entire way that she gets worked up is completely dramatized because she thinks that that is what is being, quote, Jen Shaw and making, quote, good TV. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think last season when we really first met her and we started getting into all of the shit, we were like, okay, she's really putting it on for the cameras and she's acting for the cameras, for the cameras. But what I'm beginning to kind of realize is that I think she just puts it on for show whether the cameras are on or not. She still is always kind of creating this act and this character of herself because this seems to be what people know her as. And I still think it's put on. But then when the cameras are rolling, it's even more of a dramatic performance. But I think even when cameras aren't rolling, Jen Shaw as a person is just like an actress performer and uses every social situation or any like undertaking in her life as a moment to be as over the top about it as possible. Oh, I feel the same way. I think, yes, I think the cameras intensify it, but it's not so dissimilar from an Erica Jane situation, obviously different, like Erica created this entire other persona. But I think that Jen potentially may have a really hard time sitting with kind of just herself in whatever that is, and maybe coming to terms with some of the things that she isn't so proud of herself about, whether that's within her character or the way that she's treated people, I don't really know. And so I think that she finds a lot of safety and a lot of comfort and potentially a lot of deflection in performance. I really think it has become such a huge part of her identity that even she may have a little bit of a hard time differentiating between real and then what she's putting on, which is not unique to her, by the way. Like That happens with a lot of people, and we can make that same claim for a lot of other housewives throughout other franchises. I think she thinks, what should I say? What will make the biggest impact? What will get across the most? What will be like the biggest, loudest version of whatever I could say or whatever I'm feeling versus how do I actually feel? Does this match what's going on inside my heart? I do think she has a huge personality, 100%. She's not making it up. She's not like some like chill girl who's now just like trying to be over dramatic. But I do think a lot of it is just attention seeking. Completely. Let's get into Lisa at Sarah Jane's house, yes? Oh my God. <laughs> when we meet my new favorite girl, Angie. This was good. They do have a longstanding friendship. Like that is accurate. They both talk about 20 years. The way they view the relationships may be a little bit different, but you know that once that is in place, any sort of a conflict is going to be viewed through the lens of a potential betrayal by one or the other. And so it just raises the stakes automatically. Like automatically it becomes less petty based on the history. And add to that the sprinkle on top that they are sort of, quote, coming into Lisa's show. I don't believe that, but I think from Lisa's perspective, she 100% feels like I was the pioneer, one of the first cast members of this show. You guys are kind of coming on as my friends. And I know for a fact that she probably feels territorial, which is a word they use later, and also a little bit like responsible and maybe one level up from them because of just the circumstances. And that added to everything you just said is like sort of a toxic combination. Oh, totally. I mean, 
of course, fourth wall break, they can't say. The other reason that I have to imagine Lisa so pissed about this entire Whitney situation, even though I think it's completely unwarranted, is because she feels in addition to the 20-year friendship, Angie needs to have a sense of loyalty to her for bringing her on the show or for you know getting Bravo to talk to her. I'm sure Lisa had something to do with that. And so one, that can't be ignored. And second of all, Lisa was the one who posted the exact text that Angie and Whitney talked about at lunch, which we'll get into in a few minutes. But Lisa did verbatim say, don't claim her when Angie said to her, guess what I just found out? Me and Whitney are cousins. Like that wasn't something that got lost in translation. Lisa's exact words on text were, don't claim her. And later, Lisa getting upset about, well, why would you tell her that? It was a clear division of Angie picking Whitney over Lisa, which is something I think she never saw coming. Yes, it's exactly that. Because aside from Lisa not liking Whitney, I think that Whitney is 100% correct in the sense that Lisa just thinks poorly of her. Like she really just views herself as a little bit higher. I feel like it's the kind of thing where, you know, when the cameras aren't rolling and she's just talking to John alone in their room, she says some probably very distasteful things about Whitney. So when Angie says the thing about becoming, you know, friendly with Whitney, I, this is like really dark and I don't mean it to sound like this. I don't think she's an evil person at all, but the visual that comes to my mind is like Lisa Barlow alone, like, and there's like smoke behind her and she's like, my master plan is foiling. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. Like, yes. It's like everything that we just mentioned before. If any person came and kind of stomped in her on her grounds, Lisa would be pissed and be like, what is going on? You know, this is not the control that I was trying to plan. So then for it to be Whitney, I mean, that is just worst case scenario in her book. Right. She's like, you got to be fucking kidding me. You couldn't have chosen any other person. Choose Heather for God's sakes, but fucking Whitney. Like, I think that that's the way that she's viewing this. Yeah. Heather would have been even better, even though she doesn't really like her. She would have been able to kind of manage. But I also do think if you really dig into it, Lisa feels some a little bit of intimidation by Whitney because of how she is so easily kind of winning everybody over even though I think she wants to say to people, why do you like her? She's below you. She's not as cool as us. She's not as rich as us. She's not as this as like everything that she thinks that you say she's saying at night that is so not chill. I think she would want to say to Angie and everyone and probably does off camera. Oh, I think the fact that she is filming this, she really has to bite her tongue. Yeah. Like 1 million percent. I've never been more confident about anything in my life. And by the way, like I say every single week, I say all of that and I still like Lisa. I can't help it. She's an amazing fucking housewife. I love her. She's great. She's funny. She has all everything. She's everything we could ask for. I also really like Whitney more as a person, I think. But that's why this fight and this whole situation overall is so much more interesting to me than something that's very cut and dry about, I heard you said this. I'm sorry. This is like, no, these are just two people who fundamentally hate each other. And it would be wrong to say out loud why and what they really think. Okay. Angie and Whitney at lunch. This was great because even before we get started, you could tell that the restaurant was really happy to be filmed. So they were pulling out all the stops. So just by nature of the location, it automatically felt more important. Like the conversation was heightened. You are a slut for a location. I really am. I can't help it. (laughs) Like I noticed too, you know, they have a tasting menu. This is like the best day of their lives. They probably polish the floors, but you really just have a thing for filming locations. I think specifically though on Salt Lake City, because I think that this entire, I mean, as you know, I've been dying to go. And so I think that this entire thing is like (laughs) writing down this restaurant on our list. You know, we're going. (laughs) 
I know. I think you just think we're like looking at a live pamphlet of where of our what we're going to do when we go there. So you forget. Oh, I, I, yeah. It's, I view Bravo as like the Utah like Tourism Bureau. Yeah. It's like Karen Huger's um, PSA for Surrey County. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I am the target audience for the Utah one. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so they explained to us that they met at this mixer. And that it was Lisa's mixer. Right. They met at Lisa's mixer, which just really adds something to the entire story, in addition to the realization that they're cousins. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's too good. I know we just spent the last like 15 minutes talking about how this fight was different because it wasn't so trivial and it was, you know, based on emotional relationships and perceptions of people. I still stand by all of that. And I know that what we're about to get into, which is this text feels really petty. But the reason that I don't think that it's petty is because to me, just for a second to pretend that this is exactly what happened and Lisa was really the one that coordinated this entire sabotage, that is the most representative of her feeling so territorial and looking down on Whitney and really this exactly the visual I created of her with the smoke coming up saying my master plan is foiled. How do I fix that? Like there is quite literally nothing that speaks to that more than her potentially getting the food canceled from this woman's event. I'm not saying that that definitely happened, but does that not fall right into that? I mean, that is like truly the pettiest cookie cutter classic thing that you could do. Classic yet also very unique. Like it's it's classic in the sense that food is such a crucial part of any sort of a party. However, if you said to me, I need you to come up with 10 petty things one can do, I would nowhere on their list would it be to call the caterer. I feel like it was like a rom-com where someone like broke into the boiler room and turned off all the electric switches, you know, like something like they just want to end the party, like the party can't go on. Yes. And when Whitney, you know, presses Angie basically saying, when did that text come through? Was it before or after you told Lisa that you were inviting me and that we were, you know, friendly? And when she says five hours after, you see the wheels in Whitney's mind really turning. Yeah. And basically, we also find out that this catering company is someone who's really good friends with Lisa and does a lot of work with her. So if she's spending big bucks with them all the time and has some real relationship with them and maybe a power over them where they wouldn't want to lose her as a client, it just all made a little too much sense. And regardless if you think it's true or not, for Whitney in that moment, it's like, okay, I mean, hello, the proof is in the pudding. I know. Should I wait to ask you if you think that it's real or not until we get into more of the deal at Angie's house? Because I'm dying to know your thoughts. Let's wait a little. Keep it suspenseful. Okay. So there are obviously so many different reasons that a person would want to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip, or maybe you just want to pick up a new skill or hobby, or maybe you're like me. And at one point you were almost fluent in Spanish and then you kind of lost it and are trying to get it back. Whatever the reason, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really immerses you in the language that you want to learn, which again, for me was Spanish. And I was kind of relearning, I guess I could say, because I really do feel that when I was abroad there, I had it so much better. And my dad would always tell me, if you don't use it, you lose it. And I kind of lost it. So first of all, number one about Rosetta Stone, they have been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Second of all, it's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. It's no English translation. So you're really learning to speak, listen, and think in that language, which for me, that's when I always could feel it clicking when I noticed myself really thinking in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you're picking up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it really is designed for long-term retention. 
Also, speech recognition. So they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, kind of like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient. There are desktop and app options with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's a lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com comments. That's a 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com comments today. So we get to the party and listen. Let me tell you one thing. If I was Whitney, and so far I have this thing in my mind, I already think that this is the work of Lisa Barlow basically robbing the fucking pigs in a blanket. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that's what I was going to say. It's literally like, it's just the hors d'oeuvres. Like, it's not like they're sitting down for like a 10 course Michelin star dinner at a wedding. It's like, okay, someone's got to bring in the pizza bagels. No, it's like, I literally envision Lisa in the back, like throwing the chicken skewers, not on my watch. (laughs) Ooh, the tuna tartare crackers are never going to make it to Angie's house. That is exactly. I also, oh my God. But my point is if I'm Whitney and I'm going with this theory and I'm gunning for it, you know, if I'm even the littlest bit suspicious, Lisa's entrance and her complete avoidance of me is going to really tell me that I am 100% accurate in my suspicion. That's like Lisa's biggest problem is I think she is really smart. I think she is a little manipulative and I think she's very strategic, but there are certain things that she just completely misses and something like that, like just play the game. Say hi to Whitney. Don't let it show that it's bothering you. Don't be the mean girl. Don't feed into everything that she says about you that you hate. You are quite literally being the stereotype of what Whitney keeps accusing you of what you hate that she keeps accusing you of. Exactly. Exactly. And she doesn't see it like that because of her view of herself. And I, I don't believe that Lisa Barlow is fundamentally unkind. I really don't. I don't think she's a bad, I don't think she's a bad person. I think she just lacks a lot of grace in the way that she handles situations because anybody that doesn't would know that regardless of your personal feelings, when you are going over to say hi to two people who are standing right next to each other, even if you hug one of them first, you make the other one feel seen. And she has this continued way of making Whitney feel less than and like not like a real person. And if there weren't so many examples of this, one could think that Whitney was being overdramatic, but she's really not. Although, quarter of a second, let's go back to ice fishing where she gives her this warm welcome and Whitney's so confused But then she goes right back into her standard operating procedure. Okay, yeah. So think about this. If Whitney hadn't spoken to Angie, and let's say she just came into the party and Lisa randomly didn't say hi to her, she'd be like, what the hell's going on? What changed in the last however many days it's been since ice fishing? So Lisa doesn't put that together that how does Whitney know anything's wrong? Why would I be ignoring her after I just gave her this nice hello and we kind of spoke last time? It just doesn't make sense like continuity-wise in terms of the way she's feeling. And I just want to reiterate this because I know you said it like five minutes ago. This is by no means like a Lisa Barlow slander podcast because I fucking love the woman. I think she's fabulous. I think she's hilarious. I think she's a great housewife. Everything we said before. And I don't mean for it to like come down so hard on her because 
I think it's great and it created such great TV. But I do think certain episodes you just get caught. It's like the spotlight goes on you and you know your hands are dirty. And that's just what was happening to her here. I also think, you know, let's be real here. She doesn't have editing on her side. Like, no. (laughs) I mean, okay, let's just get right into it. I know that this is the comment that's being talked about so much, her saying there's nothing worse than a party with no food and everybody thinks that that's evidence. I think that's 100% bullshit. I think what probably happened is somebody complimented how good the food was, either at that event or at one of her events or something. And she was like, oh, I I totally agree. There's nothing worse than a party with no food. I do not think that was about this party. I I can't stress that enough. And so even if you 100% are on the team that Lisa sabotaged the catering thing, like that's fine. There's no way that was connected, in my opinion. No, I completely agree with that. I think I can't find it now, but I think she did a comment or a tweet that was saying she was talking about how there was no food at ice fishing because they were in the middle of a frozen lake and like they're not having many hot dogs in the middle of the lake. I completely that was an editing thing. And what frustrates me is, I mean, I get not everyone goes as deep as we do. Well, actually, that's like a really big overstatement, but why does Bravo like put things like that, that now Lisa is just going to have to say in some way and break the fourth wall, like that was taken out of context. That was a full editing thing. Everyone's going to kind of figure it out. So it just kind of annoys me when people do that. And it's such a clear, it's not just taking things out or putting things in a different order. It's fully putting in a comment that now is exaggerating a storyline that had nothing to do with it. Right. Because I think that if you are somebody that fully believes that Lisa was behind all of this, you don't need that comment to seal the deal for you at all. No. I want to just quickly pivot to Jen and Mary for a second. I mean, Mary, this entire episode was just hilarious. Like this woman, I've never seen anything like the show that she puts on. And it's not a show because that is genuinely her to her core. Like in that way, she's the direct antithesis of Jen Shaw because I don't believe any of this is performative. I think she's the exact same way when she is in her closet alone and there are no cameras. I'm telling you, I just get her. She's so good. And it's so funny because when Jen sits down and they're trying to have this conversation, I love what Mary said to her. Like, maybe I'll play ball with you, but you can't turn on me next week. No. And Mary wasn't just like leaning right into it. She also really wears her emotions on her face. So when all of a sudden Jen sits down like, hey, oh my God, we should have a family barbecue. She's like, wait, what? Right. She's like, are you, do you know that you're talking to me? Like, hi, I'm Mary. Nice to meet you. Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. And and completely rightfully so. Completely. But I just every week feel like I'm getting a more clear picture of Mary. I fully understand her. And I think her position in this group is actually a really good one because she's pretty much on good terms with everyone. But she's also acting now as a support for Meredith and Brooks, even though she's also simultaneously sort of getting better with Jen. Yeah, but the getting better with Jen is not coming from this deep place within Mary to do it. You know, it's coming from the no. fact that, right, she's she's willing. She's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the courtesy of gracing you with my presence because we're on a show together. She could give less of a fuck about Jen. Oh, it's totally just to be cordial. Right, right. Okay, this is really when it gets so good, when Angie and Lisa go into the other room. And- no, I'll tell you when it goes. As soon as Angie changes into the orange feather dress, that is when you know, ladies and gentlemen, the show is about to begin. And not for nothing, but that million dollar donation really got a lot of things going. That was like a moment to be celebrated. That's when the night really began. And it was yeah. such a celebration. It was such a celebration. And, and you know, I have to say, a lot of the times housewives film these charity events and of course, they're all for good causes, but a lot of the times the host doesn't actually have a personal connection. But when her husband is talking about this and talking about 
his child who benefited from this organization personally, you really felt it. You really felt that the room was being captivated by what he was saying. Right. Like so many housewives can get a million dollar donation, but this really felt like someone was donating $1 million for their family and that this whole event and everything wasn't a waste. No, completely. Okay. Them in this room, this was everything. This, you know, let me, here's the thing. This was everything before one other person walked in, before Meredith, before Jen, before the husband, before Whitney. Like just when it was the two of them, I was already absolutely glued. And I really think this is when the 20 years of history plays directly into this. Yes. And then one by one, the characters just keep coming in almost at the perfect time when they need to be there or when they are relevant to the situation. And again, you little location girl, this was in a beautiful little side library that really fed to the like, we're in the other room at a party and there's action going on outside, but this is really where it's going down. Right. And by the way, the door is open. So it is not so impossible that one could possibly hear something. Right. You know, Angie basically explains to her exactly what happened. The caterer calls to pull out of the party because Lisa's assistant said so. Lisa's response, and I quote, this has nothing to do with me. I've been friends with them for a long time, but they can do whatever they want. I'm feeling weird right now. And then Angie provides the additional context that the day before Lisa and her talked, the caterer seemed really stoked about the event. They were all in, and it was only after the conversation. Is this a fair time for me to ask you your opinion, or would you like me to wait? Um, I think this is a good time. I think, I just think something happened in the middle. I don't think she flat out said, hey, can you cancel on Angie's party? I think she spoke to these caterers and said, I'm not really feeling her. You know, like, I I don't even want to go to this party. And they maybe had to make a judgment call like, okay, is this, if we do this party, are we going to lose Lisa Barlow's business, which is probably, if she's using them at like Sundance and all of her Vita Tequila events, like, is that a big problem? I don't know. Lisa posted on Instagram while the episode was airing, a photo of her two friends who are the caterers and wrote, she forgot a key part. She had catering. I would never cancel a caterer, nor is that something anyone could do. And then added the two of them are amazing people. They weren't able to cater casino night, but made sure to have his brother fill in while they focused on their new restaurant. The food was amazing. Marco's brother did an absolutely amazing job. So while I'm watching this episode, I'm like, oh, she is so guilty. Like she did some meddling. But then when you realize if this is true, that the caterer's brother was the one who ended up doing the event, which is basically the closest thing you could get, that really shifted my perspective. Yeah, I was torn on this because I don't want to believe that she would do such a malicious thing to somebody that she is friends with because it's like, yeah, I guess technically that's punishment, but it's also just really cruel. Yeah. I could see a conversation happening where she just mentioned something about her being displeased with Angie potentially. And then the caterers, like you said, on their own weighing and saying, you know what, if this could even potentially get us to lose Sundance, it's not worth it. I will say that thought process in and of itself, let's say, let's just go with this theory for a second. Let's say Lisa didn't directly say to them, you can't do it, but she voiced her being displeased. And based on that, the caterers felt maybe this isn't the move. That in and of itself is a little bit problematic. The fact that you know they feel that she's capable of withdrawing their business based on a move like that. And by that same token, it's also kind of equally concerning that everybody else was so quick to believe that Lisa's capable of that, whether or not she is, because to me, that kind of just proves how they view her character to be. Let's say- This is just a coincidence, right? Like, 
she found out that her and Whitney are really good friends and the caterers are now focusing on their new restaurant and they happen to have to cancel or they happen to have to say, we can't come anymore, but I'm going to send my brother same food. He's going to do a great job. The fact that her friend of 20 years and all the other people that she sort of asked and felt out there, like got their temperature on the situation all said, oh, this sounds like classic Lisa Barlow or like, of course, you know, why wouldn't she do that? That alone is just so telling of Lisa's character. And that's where she should be the most concerned because that really should give her a look at herself of like, is that what people think about me? If Is that what people automatically assume? I also think Lisa's reaction, maybe this is just like a weird Lisa thing and one of her kind of quirky tendencies. But as soon as Angie starts confronting her about it, she was so like defensive and didn't really say, oh my God, never. She would just kept being like, Okay, what does that have to do with me? I don't really get it. This is so weird. It was a very bizarre reaction, which like if you're on the team of thinking she 100% factually called them up and said, you cannot do this. You will lose my business. Like she laid it out for them without any reading between the lines necessity. Her reaction only really supported your theory. Like that's why if somebody believes it, I don't think you're crazy or wrong. I have no idea. You could a thousand percent be right because every single one of her actions is leaning towards that. I just like... I'm not going to let myself fully believe that yet. If anything, I think that it was a little bit more subtle than that. The one point though that I want to make in response to what you said is in the beginning of this episode, right? We're introduced to Angie and Lisa's friendship and it's this long history and they both seem so fond of one another. As the episode progressed, when Angie is in her confessional, if you just came into watching the episode at that moment, you would think that Lisa Barlow was somebody that she fundamentally disliked because she did not say one positive thing about her. She spoke about how this is a pattern of territorialism. She spoke about how, uh, you know, Lisa has this way about her. It was very, almost a complete 180 from, in my opinion, what she portrayed in the beginning of the episode. I know. My only thinking is that they filmed these confessionals much later and that things just keep getting progressively worse after this sit down that we see. And that the way they were introduced was actually how they felt at the time. I mean, when they were at Sarah Jane's house, it felt very like light and they were friends and they're this bubbly group, but that things just went a little bit lower and lower. I mean, but she made the comment in the confessional of like, listen, if I wasn't friends with everybody that Lisa didn't want me to be friends with, I would have no friends, which even if you're right, and I think you probably are, and and feelings change as the season progressed, it's not like it was just in that time frame that Lisa had this list of people. To me, that seems like it was a pattern from the past 20 years. Yeah, and maybe it forced her to look at, like, some of the negative traits she saw about Lisa. I guess, like, you have friends and you love them, but then if they turned on you, you would all of a sudden be able to really point out their flaws and realize things they've done over the years. Totally. I want to read a couple more of Lisa's comments because she cleared up. Someone asked, then why did the text say Lisa's assistant called? Why didn't it say we are so busy and it's also not professional canceling like that at the last minute? Make it work. And Lisa wrote, she improvised the text. Someone else said, um, if you have a business set up, like you have to go there, but it's bad business. And she said, the partner slash brother did the event. Nothing was wrong. And then also she cleared up the comment about you got to love a party with no food. She just said, there was amazing food there. I just hate when parties don't have food. I had no idea this was going to be a thing. I walk into Jen's house and say, phew, you have food and not just trail mix. I'm worried about my food at ice fishing, et cetera. Keep watching. Yeah. <laughs> that that one I fully am on board with her about in terms of uh in terms of that editing one. I mean, 
But don't you um, think it would be such it would be such a big lie for Angie to add in that the the part about Lisa's assistant texting? Yeah, it would be insane. I I did did Angie ever post the texts? No. Like we need to see the the facts really. It's it's really this whole thing is really fucking weird, honestly. I know we were saying earlier like, "Oh, it's a classic move." It's not classic. It's a really terrible thing to do if that were to happen. But there was food at the party. So uh, I hate this. <laughs> there were many hot dogs, okay? Everyone relax. I know, I know. I hold on. I we I'm getting all over the place for a second. I want to talk about when she brings Meredith in. Wait, that was so weird. It was weird on Angie's behalf, in my opinion, as well. Like, why is that your battle to fight? I was so confused how we got from A to B. Honestly, I I mean, I love when you bring up shit, of course, like mention it all, but it was just so weird. Well, the reason that she was doing it was she was kind of making a comparison play. Like, listen, I can be friends with you and Whitney, just like you can be friends with Jen and Meredith. It's not fair that you're playing this double standard with me, you know? And it's, I think that was kind of her goal in this, but- Lisa has this way where it's not that I think that she feels incapable of vouching for herself, but I think that she feels a lot more powerful when she has somebody physically there. It's very similar to like at the reunion when she needed Meredith to say certain things. And so she really needed to bring Meredith and Jen in that room to like show, no, I can do this and your point is invalid. And I have to say, this is the grace that I was talking about that Meredith has that Lisa doesn't. I think that Meredith handled this really uncomfortable situation that was actually really inappropriate for her to be asked in this moment beautifully beautifully and also not in a lying way she said yes she's upset me we've had issues but we've worked through them and we're in a good place now so she's telling the truth but also backing up lisa because if she didn't in that moment it would be really bad friend move and i don't think she would ever do that it wasn't enough for lisa to just say herself what are you talking about we're on great terms she had to prove her point over and above and beyond and get it straight from the source Exactly. And I think the other thing about this is that we know this for a fact. Lisa is very triggered, potentially the most triggered when somebody brings up any cracks in her and Meredith's friendship. Like that is not something that she does well with, especially by the way, among this crowd, aka Angie, who I think she also views in her quote, elite group of friends. And so when Meredith, her other quote, elite friend and their relationship is being called into question, I think that is something where she's like, I am putting my foot down. No, she was not about to let that happen. And she didn't want Angie or honestly anyone else. But I think you're right. Angie, who she cares a lot about her opinion, to have anything but positive views on her friendship with Meredith. It's funny because when Whitney comes in and at this point, like, you know, Lisa is just so pissed. She's pissed at her very existence. She's she's pissed at her presence. You know, of course, she's upset that they were kind of in cahoots. But it was interesting because when Whitney calls her out on the fact that, like, you didn't want her to acknowledge me, she didn't deny it. She literally said, you and Heather were relentless. And I was like, why are you seeking out a friendship with this person? Which even if you don't fully agree with that, you have to respect the fact that she didn't try to reframe what happened. She completely admitted it. Yeah, she was just more upset about Angie sharing that with Whitney. Like you have no confidence that I something I could tell you as a friend of so many years, like you couldn't keep it to yourself. Yeah, I mean, you know, can I say something? I don't know if you're going to agree with this. Like I think that Lisa's behavior was really off here because I don't like when people get territorial like this. I think it's really off. I think that if you are good friends with somebody, there can't be that level of jealousy or that level of insecurity within your friendship or within yourself that you have to dictate who they're friends with. That automatically is a red flag to me. And she has done that and is admittedly doing that. That being said, I understand if you're friends with somebody for 20 years, how all of a sudden her 
exhibiting behaviors of being more loyal to somebody she just became friends with is a little bit hurtful. I don't think she's completely off in that. And I understand why I was a little bit blindsiding. And I also think, I don't want to throw around the term gaslighting because I don't think it's applicable to the situation. But, you know, for Angie to not understand at all why Lisa would be upset at her sharing this feels a little wrong to me, to be honest. It feels a little bit thirsty for attention and not thinking so much about what she could be feeling. Maybe you think I'm so off on that, but that's how I kind of feel. No, I think Angie definitely was thirsty. She was pulling up everything she could think of, really, like from the Meredith thing to the Whitney thing. She really was trying to, you know, go down her bulleted list of things that she had on Lisa. And you're right. Like, regardless if you're mad at somebody or if you like another person that they don't like, she didn't have to tell Whitney those things. You can be loyal to two people who are not friends at the same time. Right, right. So Whitney's exact quote was, you asked Angie to not acknowledge that she's related to me. You asked her to not follow me on social media and you asked her to disown knowing me, which are like huge claims, like basically saying you need to wipe Whitney completely from your life. And Lisa tweeted her actual text with Angie and she wrote, don't misquote me. I said, don't claim her. You know who's going to show up at your family reunion, dot, dot, dot. And the text are Angie... This is actually interesting. The previous text is with Angie says, it isn't a good look for the church, but oh, well, a lot of it is true. And you're being pro-Mormon. So that's good, which was clearly like their conversation when the first season was airing. And then on Friday, November 13th, Lisa wrote, love this. And Angie wrote, I found out Whitney and I are related from watching the show with the shrugging face emoji. I died. And Lisa wrote, what? Don't claim her. And Angie said, I'm not. Just thought it was funny. Same great-great-grandpa Joseph Smith bodyguard. The problem here is Angie is, I think, the one who twisted it in translation, not Whitney. Well, explain what you mean by that. Because if Whitney is saying, well, you told Angie, like, to not follow me on social media and to not want to be friends with me, she heard that from Angie. And Angie's the one who got the text. Yeah, but I I don't think that... Angie necessarily twisted it because I don't think that that one text is necessarily all the whole story. Like, think about it. If somebody says, don't claim her, to me, that's not so dissimilar from all of those other claims. And to me, the most telling part of it is that when Whitney says verbatim, I'm going to read it one more time, what you said, you asked Angie to not acknowledge that she's related to me. You asked her to not follow me on social media. You asked her just to disown knowing me. Lisa's only response to that is, you and Heather were relentless and I was like, why are you seeking out a friendship with this person? She didn't deny it. Yeah, that's true. She never said, I never said that. I just said, I just thought it was weird that you were all of a sudden cousins. I mean, at the end when Whitney's in her confessional and this is, you know, she's kind of narrating Lisa's blow up and she gives almost like a verbal glossary as to what the different behaviors that Lisa's exhibiting means, you know, <laughs> It's not so uh, inaccurate. I'll tell you that much. Like it feels all very real. And I think that Lisa, yes, what she was saying, what Winnie was saying is accurate, but I think it all goes down to the fact of like, no, this is not how it's meant to be. This is not how I did it. I didn't get Angie, my friend of 20 years, one of my quote elite friends on the show on here for everybody to turn on me. This is like, it's almost like, what's the fucking, what's the show that is like, this is not what I want. This is not what I planned. And I just have to say. What is that from? (laughs) High School Musical. High School Musical. Tell me that's not Lisa Barlow right now. Oh my God. Sharpay Evans is having a fucking meltdown. Yes. Yes. That is how I feel. No, honestly, fuck Lisa's text receipts because now I'm thinking like, okay, that's one message on the very first time that she is ever, ever telling her about it. 
You know how many other texts or phone calls or lunches or conversations they must have had after that about it? There's no way the last time they spoke about it was almost a year ago from today. No, there's just no way. That's what I'm saying. And all of this to say, I still love me some Lisa Barlow. I love Lisa Barlow. I know. Wow. What else? Are we missing anything? I mean, this was just a great <laughs> I don't think it's possible that we missed anything. <laughs> Whew. What a ride. Okay, let us go to Potomac, which, by the way, is is no less entertaining than this one. Oh, my God. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like, generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically, when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes, there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. I want to get right into Chesapeake. The one thing that I feel like we need to do in order to set the scene is just to quickly recite Giselle's text, which is, quote, Wendy, I don't feel welcome to come on your trip due to the rudeness of your invite. (laughs) Uh, The way I felt about that was the way that Giselle's hairdresser felt when he's like, you sent it? She's like, yeah, like she wrote it and sent it. She didn't even reread it. Didn't even check it for punctuation. Did like her thumb was on send. It's kind of like when they say there's two types of people in this world, the people that take the profile picture for Facebook or Instagram literally in the camera and just that's it. Like no thought process. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like who says like just capture photo? Like, no, write it in the notes app. Think about it out loud. Reread it a couple of times. Say it out loud. Like she just literally typed it as if she was asking like, hey, what time are you going to be home? No, but in Giselle's defense, just for a half a second, like even if it was completely justified and warranted on Wendy's behalf, her invite was unbelievably rude. It was like, okay, I'd like to invite you with your husband, you with your husband, and uh, you you come with your luggage. <laughs> oh, no, she did not need to go, but just Giselle texting is just the funniest thing ever. Yeah. Okay. I am really like dialed into this episode because I have so many different thoughts and I really deeply enjoyed this. And I think honestly, if I have to pinpoint one reason why I enjoyed it so much was because Mia's reaction was not necessarily what I was anticipating, but I felt like the way she handled all of it, which I know we're going to get into G and this and that and a million other things, but with the way she handled Candace specifically, I just felt made for really good television because it was so opposite from the way I feel like other people have responded to Candace when she starts poking. Right, like versus a Monique or an Ashley, like the way the feuds that we've seen Candace in, this was such a different vibe. And I do think the way Mia acted pissed off Candace more than anything else. Oh, it was the exact, you know, example of like, if you appear unbothered, they're only going to get more mad. And that's exactly what it was. Candace wanted her to match her energy and she just wasn't. No, and that really just kept like pushing a button. 
let's get the G stuff out of the way so that we can really focus on the Candace and Mia thing. He was fucking drunk. I understand that he was having fun, but I just have to tell you, when I was watching it, the only thing that I could equate it to is when you're watching a TikTok and you click on the comment section and it's kind of like a cringy video or you're waiting for something to happen and all the comments are like, anybody else hiding in the comments? Because you know, when you put the comments up, it blocks the video. That was me. I kept like turning away because I was cringing, but I also didn't want to miss it. But I also didn't really know what to do. Like it was, it was just crossing the line of this is a little bit too much. It was embarrassing for him. It was embarrassing, like, because he doesn't really know. None of them know each other. That's what we have to remember. Like, these husbands are meeting for maybe the first or second time ever in life. And he was coming in like he owned the place. And I do really commend Mia because I think she wanted to just remain calm, cool, and collected while they were sort of in front of everyone and just, like, deal with it later. Obviously, she knows him the best, but... You know, she didn't want to, like, aggravate things more and make things more apparent of how drunk he was or how the comments he was making were inappropriate. She just said, you know what? We'll deal with it later. I don't need to give anyone more to talk about. Right. And also, I think that there's something really powerful about the idea that we always talk about just in general of, like, I am not responsible for the actions of my husband. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. my job to necessarily reel him in. It shouldn't make me look bad necessarily. And so I kind of like that she was like, he's his own person. This is me. Like, some people may disagree with that. I'm not saying she handled it perfectly, but I just, I do like the thought process of like, let's not make it about her. She wasn't doing it. He was doing it, you know? Yeah, like, oh, he's drunk, you know, not almost like not my problem. Right, right. It was a really great moment when it's Wendy, Escala, and Candace upstairs and Mia walks in because she kind of knew that they were talking about her, but it wasn't in a way where she was offended. She kind of just wanted to like happily join in on the conversation. Right. Like what kind of questions can I answer? You know, I know you're talking about me, so here I am. It's an open forum. Candace was ready. I mean, Candace was so hungry and excited for a confrontation with Mia because I think she had so much built up upset towards her. And I have so many thoughts I'm really trying to organize. Like, I want to get into the low budget mom thing in a second and how she repeatedly hammered down that point even after finding out the context. But I know it was like so upsetting. But what's really off to me is I understand that when you have your mother and then you have Mia, even if you have your issues with your mother, you are going to be more pissed at Mia. I I get it in terms of the battle that you're going to fight on the show, right? But when she was talking to Mia, she completely removed her mom from the conversation. It was as if Dorothy wanted nothing to do with this conversation and Mia was pulling teeth. And some could argue that it doesn't matter. Dorothy's reaction doesn't matter because Mia should have never inquired in the first place. And that's probably accurate. But to act as though it was a one-way street is simply false. Like that's just revisionist history. No, because then when Candace watches the tapes back, she'll see Dorothy going up to everyone and initiating the conversation. Now, there's way more to get into of like Mia saying that maybe validated her or gave her like the ammunition to say, oh, see, other people are noticing it too. And Candace is, everyone's talking about it. Candace's friends and it's like so noticeable. And that sort of maybe like lit the fire. But I have to watch it back because if Mia is accurately telling the story that she really just said like who's in charge here like you know what's going on like is where's chris where's anybody who's in charge which is like yeah a little shady but also somewhat innocent and her not knowing at all like what dorothy's like it's not her fault it's like it's not as big a deal 
as Candace is making it out to be. And nothing went wrong. And I think she really is just trying to protect her mom and make it Mia's issue instead of her mom's. And also really her issues with Chris and sort of like what they were unearthing as they watch this music video have problems. Okay. Yes. And I want to talk about that in 30 seconds specifically about the low budget thing. But one side note that I wanted to mention before we get away from this room is when Mia repeatedly, you know, boils it down to it being a business thing. And that was where her curiosity stemmed from. And you see a scholar get really pissed about that. I want to go back to a few episodes ago when they had the pajama party at Candace's old house. Mia directly asked the question, I forget to who, it could have been to Escala, it could have been to Robin, how many businesses do you own? And Escala, even back then, was really pissed about that comment because it came completely out of left field. And it was as if she thinks that because she's a CEO, she's better than everyone. So that's why I think Escala was so kind of triggered and upset by Mia saying this here, even if it kind of was an accurate reasoning. Well, that was a storyline that I was not really so aware of was going on. I remembered that. And then again, when Mia, they flash back to this in a couple of minutes, I think, is on the phone with one of her friends saying, oh, I'm talking to one of my, you know, rich boss friends, like not not you broke bitches. Again, really just trying to hammer in like this classism that they seem to be so aware of that's a thing. Candace wasn't making that enough of a point because it seems to be a pattern with Mia, which would have made her point a little bit stronger if she was like, you know, coming to basically Candace's place of work and shitting on it for saying it's not operating the right way. Right, right. I mean, in terms of the, there's so much here because I want to talk also about, you know, Candace just repeatedly coming for her looks and her being a stripper and all that stuff. But in terms of the low budget comment about the music video, like, I don't know the budget. I'm not saying that it was low budget. It ended up turning out great. But if you're me and you're coming in, there seems to be no direction of what's going on. And also your car is then being used as part of this. You don't know the backstory. It's not like she made that claim out of absolutely nowhere. No, I mean, the budget thing is just not a conversation. And the body shaming thing, Candace needs to not do that because the problem is she is so witty and she gives such good confessionals. Like think about the beginning of the season. We were like, yes, like her her confessionals were par- some of my favorite parts of those episodes. So now she's stooping to such a level when she could say other, there's a million other things she could say. Why do you have to go there? I hate it. It's so not enjoyable at a certain point. And it's also like, you know, Mia completely just lets it roll off her back. And in that way, I do think that she feels, you know, secure enough in herself to not be upset about it. But as bad as that is, what really pisses me off is continually using her past as a stripper against her. It's like super fucked up and misogynistic and like deeply counterproductive to what we as women are trying to do. You know, it's like, okay, that's how she met her husband. She owns it. Her and her husband are the first ones to own it. And they've built this life together. They have children together. So in the process, by the way, you're being so disrespectful to her children. She's clearly built something. She runs her own businesses. Like, why do you care so much? Why are you so mean about it? It's it's it really I, I was watching that and I I found myself not just feeling like annoyed at how petty it was. I found myself like actually getting worked up at how upsetting it was for women to talk about other women in that way and completely invalidate their, you know, successes along the way. That's what I just don't get. Like I thought we like as a collective like we as like people and women and everything like we're like past that like we don't do that anymore like that's not a thing you don't shame someone for any type of like sex work or any type of work however she had to raise her family like 
that it's just not a thing. And so for her to do it at all, let alone on TV in conjunction with all of these things about body shaming is so it's just not right. And I really do like Candace as a person. And I think in her core, she is better than that. But she stoops so low when she gets pissed off. But it's not just when she gets pissed off. It's when it hits on something that she knows is true. Like, she is not happy with the way the music video went down. Even though everything came together fine, at the end of the last episode, she said about Chris, because remember, she hugs Chris, he picks her up, they're all fine. And she says in her confession, like, he knows he fucked up. It mm-hmm. didn't go It didn't go on without a hitch. So she is pissed that Mia is talking about that outwardly, not only to her mother, but also she knows in her confessional and just making it because she feels sensitive about it as well. It's not like Mia is making a claim about something that Candace is completely unaware of. And I think that's part of it. And also, you know, in Candace's defense, in this particular scene, she didn't have the full context of Mia's upbringing. But Candace, and she's the first one to admit it, was really fortunate in her upbringing that she had, you know, a mother who provided for her so extensively. And that's, by the way, nothing to be shamed about either. Like, I hate the whole reverse of this, how everybody's like, oh, it's your mama's house. Like, yeah. And her mom was happy to have her live in it. Leave her alone. Right. But just because you had that, that's not that was not Mia's reality. And she did what she had to do in order to get where she is now. And how dare you use that against her? But then again, once she learns the information, because I I was giving Candace the benefit of the doubt that when the women explained to her, even like Karen, when they have the fight later with the salad, butting in and saying, hold on, do you even know about her mom? And they're like, yeah, we filled her in when we were sitting in the bed in that room. She keeps going there with the comment. It's like, that's just too much. We are literally talking about your music video being low budget and no one thought you're Lady Gaga. Like, it's fine just take it. Like, it's not worth that. Or don't take it and respond with something that isn't so hurtful. And, you know, you see that Mia is de- is kind of deflecting. She's letting it roll off. But you see that the mom stuff is really hitting her deep. Like, okay, talk about her feet, talk about her looks. Like, it's not great, but that's not going to get it. The mom stuff that, and, and hold on. The other important thing here is that she admitted that on this trip, she is simultaneously a little bit nervous about her mom being there with her kids. Not that anything's going to happen, but it's the first time they've ever done this. She's just rebuilding this relationship with her mom. So she already had so much of her mom at at the top of her mind based on the fact that she was leaving her kids and all this was going down, that this is not what she needed. Like I really, I I don't know why I'm yelling. I'm sorry. I cannot believe how worked up I'm getting. I just was, I felt this was so mean. That's what it was. I felt it was really fucking mean. Yeah. And it was one thing when she didn't have contacts, but then as soon as her friends gave it to her, I think them expecting like, okay, now you know the context. Let's maybe just use anything else but that. Like, it's not just a regular dig talking about someone's mom. Like, it goes deeper for her. She still went there. And that to me was like, okay, you know, three strikes, you're out. Yeah. I hated this. I I think that she will look back on this episode and feel really kind of disgusted with her behavior. And also, like, we didn't even mention she had that whole conversation, an entire scene with Chris where she's just shitting on Mia for her looks. Yeah. I – It's also sad because I think in an alternate universe, they really could get along. Like, I do think they have a lot of things that would be compatible and they would just be like fun, young, cool friends who are, I don't know, ambitious and funny. And it's just, this has all gone down in such a really just poor taste way. Totally. I mean, next week is going to be absolutely explosive, I think. Oh, the salad throwing I thought was like the big drama of this trip. But I think that's just the very beginning because... Giselle and Robin show up. Ashley and Chris get into it about Michael fucking Darby. More Mia and Candace things. Like, this just is going to be 
beyond. Beyond. Yeah. The salad oh. throw, the salad throw happened. It it was just, it happened. And then we're going to get in the next episode. But I just think it was just an escalation and sort of the end of their fight. Yeah. I also, have, I remember what I wanted to say. I have two final things. The first is I love when Candace is, pulls up the example of when everybody's going at Mia and she stood on the counter and was like, okay, guys, let's go play this other game as if she was like doing the ultimate act of defending Mia. Like, yeah, no, she was just, she was just deescalating the situation. But, but I really want to say, cause this is like on a more serious note, everything that we just said about the way Candace behaved in this episode, I stand by, I really thought it was just mean, but I saw a lot on Twitter about people being like, this was disgusting of Candace. And like, now you guys all wonder why Monique hit her. I just want to say by no means can the two be equated. There's nothing, even though I actually liked Monique, there was nothing that Candace could have done that would have warranted that physical altercation. And I just want to make sure that I say that because I saw it fucking all over Twitter. And like, I still don't stand by that. No. Yeah. I think people just immediately draw the comparisons when also the situations are so different, but yeah, definitely not. Yeah. I mean, what she was saying was enough to make a person go crazy, but again, not to physically assault her. That's just, no, that's just never. never. Anything else you would like to mention about anything? I think that's it. Just rest in peace to Coco Singer. She lived a long, fabulous New York life. She did. And she's being remembered as the icon that she was. Yep. Because her biggest scene of all time is that she was walking down the street with Ramona when she said, you don't support other women. And people keep bringing up that clip. And I think it's beautiful. Yes. And the other thing that I want to say is that I didn't watch it yet, but I'm about to go watch the video that Bravo posted of Craig and Paige giving the Winter House tour. It's really cute. I said this to you yesterday. I just want to know at what point they were at in their relationship when they filmed this. Like, was it the first few days in the house when they're just kind of getting to know each other? Was it the end? Was it more recently? I can't wait for Winter House. Holy shit. The more and more that comes out, it's going to be so fun to recap. That's the stuff that, like, you and I specifically eat up. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, we love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. And we will obviously be back next week. I am so excited for this Beverly Hills reunion. And I think that we just feel really grateful. So thanks for being on this ride with us. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.